welcome to Theaters Not Dead with Kiana Alexander. I am your host, Kiana Alexander. For the month of November, we're going to be doing a series called Women Doing the Damn Thing. What is the thing? Theater. Who are the women? These are the people who are making integral changes to the system we've all been working in and the industry that we may be finding was not as perfect as our professors made it out to be. How are they doing it? By disrupting what you think theater has to look like. Whether that's virtual or in person, they're making changes, they're being bold, they're having a good time doing it. I am so excited to have two very special guests on the show today. Both of them I have so much admiration for, so let's talk about them a little bit. A Dream is a free-spirited risk-taker who encouragingly follows her instincts. She is always bringing herself to her work, not to just represent the story well, but to discover something new about herself regardless of the medium. Heather is a dance professor, choreographer, and producer. Her most recent work, The Debate 2.0, is a dance theater piece that she transformed from live theater to virtual theater. I'm excited to talk to them. You're excited to hear from them. And here they are. Yay! Hello and welcome! Good morning. So, we talked a little bit about 2.0 and your bio, but before we get to any of that, I love to hear people's origin stories. So how did either of you get started in the performing arts? Heather, I'm going to pass it to you. (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, I started taking ballet when I was three. So my story kind of starts there. Um, I've started out in ballet, and then at some point I discovered around age 13 modern dance, and then I did not look back because I realized modern dance was an opportunity for me to like really have a unique voice. Um, And a lot of things I was seeing about the ballet world just um, were rather stifling. So, I kind of just went on this journey with modern dance and I ended up in graduate school at NYU and getting a degree in dance education um, and dancing with some really crazy people in New York City who were amazing, um, postmodern pioneers doing weird stuff and it was really fun, Um, you know, got to bark at other people on stage, like just weird stuff Um, and dance on a ship and the Chelsea Piers, you know, anyway. um, So, but for me, performing and performing through movement has always been sort of where it's at for me. Um, And I really like the opportunities that modern dance gives because it's an abstract art form that really allows for a lot of interpretations and it's very welcoming to an audience. And then I started discovering theater and how theater and dance theater can be a really interesting partnership and have something more concrete to say. Um, So anyway, so I teach at UNC Chapel Hill and I teach the dance courses, but I work a lot with um, dramatic arts and with the communication department and produce the process series. And so um, I have an opportunity to work with a lot of people from different genres and kind of bringing all of that together to create, you know, how different voices get heard. I want to hear a dream's origin story too. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, uh, the first performing art that I was introduced to was singing. So I grew up in the church. So we were in the children's choir, the Willem Vessels, and um, that escalated to performing in choir in school. And I was a part of a chamber choir from eighth grade through high school. And a couple like summers in between there, like my grandma had put me in like a uh, improv class and I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of cute. Okay. But you know, I didn't really know what to do with that. And then, um, I mean, in high school, I was a part of the, there was a drama department, but it wasn't really, unfortunately it wasn't stable. Like every year we had a a different 
drama teacher. And so I was like getting bits and pieces of the thing, but still wasn't really quite sure what the thing was. And um, I went to, to Wesleyan and they have an awesome theater department. And I didn't, <laughs> I didn't get in. And I was, you know, my little, my little performing art heart was broken for a minute. But a senior year, I auditioned for the Vagina Monologues and I got cast in it. And that really just kind of flipped, flipped, flipped the head on, on my end. And that that became, that that was the bite, the real bite. Um, and then after that, I went to move to New York and did some classes at UCB, did some summer intensives at Stella Adler and William Esper and um, I haven't really looked back since. And now I'm currently getting my MFA at UNC Chapel Hill in conjunction with Playmakers Repertory Company. And um, in, in, in between all of that, I've, I've also discovered I really enjoy moving my body and that has opened up different opportunities. I had the, the privilege to perform with Heather in the debate and the debate 2.0 when it went virtual. Um, and you know, I'm currently working on some other projects with some other dance theater artists. And so I'm, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm just like, Laura, use me. How the creativity wants to flow. I will share it. I love origin stories because what you find is that no artist has been like one thing and stuck to it. Mm -hmm. Like regardless, we all evolve just like art is always evolving and changing and what it means to us changes as well. So mm. I love hearing how everyone's like, oh yeah, I started doing A, B, and C. And by the end of it, I'm doing the whole alphabet. It's mm. so fun to hear those stories. I started as a dancer and then was like, oh, I can say words and be on stage. And then that turned into, or I could be off stage and tell people on stage what to do. So that's how I transformed. But yeah, I say all this to say, talking with your body is so much harder than using your words. Mm. So I have so much, thus all of my admiration for the two of you in communicating and advocating and never saying the words aloud using your body to encompass all these themes and concepts and telling people like stop the patriarchy but with <laughs> your arms i so good is the moral of the story and this kind of brings us to the story of the debate and i'm going to pass that back to either of our lovely guests to do that well, <clears throat> I'll start because um, it, it's really had multiple iterations. So the way it started originally was um, as a live performance in February um, as part of the process series at UNC Chapel Hill. Um, the 19th Amendment Project was um, developed around this 100th anniversary of this, uh, the women's right to vote and the suffrage movement. Um, but what we were doing with the process series is um, coming together to kind of explore what that really means. Um, you know, not all women got the right to vote 100 years ago. And um, so it was more complicated than just like a celebration of 100 years. So um, that's what the whole, you know, um, evening length performance was about the 19th Amendment project. Several different artists in different mediums, we had um, dance theater, which was the, the debate. We had um, a musical piece um, about Sojourner Truth. We had play, we, um, we had um, a, like a visual arts um, film piece as well. Anyway, so it started as this live performance and it was a duet. Um, and then we wanted to take it further into the Women's Theater Festival over the summer, the Fringe Festival. And, you know, everything happened and it went virtual. And so we were like, can we still do this? And what does that mean? And so that was the big transition point. You know, do we try to transform this piece to continue its life? Because 
that's what we're going to need to do if we want to see this piece again anytime soon. Um, and what does that mean? Or do we abandon it? And so I had a great partner, uh, Tracy Beersley from the, um, theater department at uh, UNC Chapel Hill, someone who a dream works with as well as the movement uh, person over there. And um, really, if if I hadn't had a partnership, I don't think I would have done this alone because I really needed another person to be like, we can do this or can we do this or how do we do this? And so um, and she so she basically was uh, did a lot of dramaturgy for for the piece and we had a lot of conversation about what needs to change in order to keep it going in a virtual life and then we had women's theater festival come in and say this is how technically you can make that happen so it really was all of that coming together to create the next you know live streaming version of it um that then went on to a third version of it where we were able to update content because things are changing so rapidly in the landscape of women in politics and what this piece is all about. And even since this last one, things have changed, right? We have a, a VP elect who I don't even need to talk about that, how excited we all are about that. But <laughs> um, so things are changing so rapidly. So, um, that's kind of the three iterations in a nutshell. Whew. And they are all so different from each other too when you really think about like how many aspects and elements change, evolve. Uh, because again, I say this like in every episode and I'm gonna keep saying it, theater is supposed to evolve and adapt. Anyways, Sorry. that's my pedestal and I get on it every week and <laughs> I hope no one gets tired of it. So, a dream, you were a part of it from the very start, correct? I came in when it shifted to the virtual world. Okay, okay. So, round two. Perfect. So, you can't. So, my question to you is how do you approach a character as a dance piece? Like, did you solidify a specific persona or did you kind of change who you were depending on what moment in the dance you were in was there a character arc what was it like developing this as a dancer sure well I mean I think the first thing that came to mind was like what story are we telling visually because I was very aware of my physical presence as a black body now entering into this conversation of um, women's right to vote under the suffragettes um, and just being very aware of that history and like how the suffragettes weren't, you know, fighting for me to vote or my ancestors. Um, and so then it's just like, okay, well, what am I representing in this conversation? Um, and I think that is really what grounded me in and how I then decided to proceed. Um, and, and I think talking with Heather and Tracy about, you know, different elements, it then evolved to like, well, maybe I'm not representing what is, but what could be. Um, because what is, is a little bleak. Um, and, and I think to your point of like, were there people that I referenced? There were like, you know, thinking about Shirley Chisholm, like this isn't the first time a female, um, let alone a black woman has asserted themselves in the political arena to be like, I'm qualified, you know, I have the platform and I can get the thing done. Um, and even uh, I have a, a friend I went to high school with who is uh, currently, in, in the Congress for Tennessee, and she's the youngest person ever and is a black woman. Um, and so like thinking about her and it's just like, you know, you couldn't have told, you couldn't have told her in high school that she was gonna be making history in that way. I mean, you definitely couldn't have told all those other old people sitting there with their lifetime jobs that <laughs> she was gonna be joining the party. Um, and so I think those two women as someone who I've learned about in school and someone who was very tangible 
Um, I can touch. I, 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 I oscillated between, um, you know, what would it be like to be in their shoes in this space, in this conversation? Yeah, I want to add too that um, the addition of a dream to the cast was a big shift as well as going. So at the same time, we were going from live to a virtual performance, we were going from a duet to a trio. Mm -hmm. And the one of the big reasons why we decided to do that um, is that, <clears throat> again, the landscape was changing and the context changed because when when we first presented it live, um, there was the context of a shared program where there was a lot of um, content that was addressing what it was like for black women women during the suffragette movement. Um, <clears throat> so we felt like we were part of the conversation, but taken out of that context, we missed that that piece wasn't as obvious in the debate. Mm -hmm. So we really felt like, you know, representation is so important in theater. Casting is so important in theater. Who, especially in dance too, you know, your body is what speaks and your body represents. Um, and so who we put in the role matters. Um, so we felt like it was really important to introduce a woman of color as a really important figure in this piece um, so that there was that representation. And um, I think working with a dream was was so nice because she was also coming to it as an actor too. And so she has that like, let's think about like, what this character means and what they're doing. And so we had all of those conversations because that matters, right? Um, and so I, I think that um, that was, she was such a wonderful, besides being just a lovely person, she was such a wonderful addition to our cast because she brought this perspective. And I have to give a little story too about this. And I haven't had a chance to tell a dream this yet. <gasps> I know. Um, <laughs> I meant to text you and then I was just like, it, uh, life happened. Um, so I talked to a class, a, a dance class at NC State, um, did sort of a guest lecture about the debate about this piece. And we were talking about it. They watched it and they were talking about it. And there was this young woman, um, African-American woman. And she said that it was so important for her to see a dream and her role up there on this virtual platform that she watched. And it was very moving for her to see someone like her up there. And so just, you know, having that response from sort of this next generation of, of performers coming up being like, yes, this is important. You're welcome here and this needs to happen. So anyway, I just wanted to share that, that um, was kind of a neat story. I also uh, agree with both of what you're saying regarding like representation and telling the narrative of what's really happening here. Because when you think about the suffragette movement, when you think about the election in 2016, all of these major political advocation moments for women, somehow women of color don't get put in the narrative which is so interesting to me because they were such a cornerstone of all of that. Like the suffragette movement and Ida B. Wells, like to me, they are synonymous and not enough people, in my opinion, know about her and what she did. And like Hillary Clinton got so much clout for being the presidential candidate. And in my mind, I always thought, are we forgetting sh our girl Shirley? Because back in the day, Shirley was running it too. So, yes, to making sure that that narrative is being told because black and brown bodies have always been a part of our political system, no matter how much some people try to stop them from being a part of the political system. And thank you to whoever made the executive decision to bring a dream in because yes to black and brown bodies saying the narrative yeah and i just i just want to i guess call out or distinguish to like the 
the executive decision to not just bring on a woman of color, but to bring on a black woman, because um, Marissa, um, who was also a part of the project, uh, if I, if my memory serves me correctly, identifies as a woman of color. And I think, you know, it's really easy to um, forget that even within women of color or women of color or people of color, like there's still all these different variances and there are people of color who have the privilege to pass for white, you know? And so then they still don't have to deal with some of the things versus like, there's no passing with this, you know, there's, there's no mistaking. I mean, even if I wasn't in the sun, you know, there's, there's still some things that you just kind of like, no, no, she's, she's, she's a black woman. Um, and so I, I think that's really important. And I think just even hearing the story that you were sharing, Heather, that, you know, had I been someone else, I don't know if, if that story would have rang true, or even like if I had been a dark skinned woman, like what that would have, you know, elicited for people. And so, yeah, I just wanted to drop oh, no, that No, you're totally right. Originally we had cast um, a, a white woman and a Filipino woman. Um, and those were our two duets, uh, the, the two uh, dancers for the duet. In the live piece and then when we shifted <clears throat> um we added in a dream and specifically we wanted that african-american voice um because it is a unique voice it's not you know we, it's not monolithic right <laughs> we don't want to say yes all you know women of color but there are, we wanted to show also that there are you know, all different voices, there's all different identities that each person inhabits as well, you know, so um, we wanted to show the complexity. And that's what I love about modern dance, because here's my plug for modern dance, because um, the abstract nature, I know, I, the professor in me goes on about, you know, the beauty of modern dance. Um, but it it is that sort of abstract nature that allows for multiple things to coexist, multiple truths to coexist. So we didn't, we also wanted, we had many discussions about, we didn't want, you know, um, each dancer in the piece to have the sort of one-to-one -one relationship. This is represents so-and-so like, like a dream was saying, she had many influences into who she was and sort of who she was channeling at the moment, I think changed throughout the piece. Um, there's a, a part where AOC is, has a voiceover and that has a very specific, um, embodiment, I think that, that a dream responded to versus maybe different times in it where she was maybe thinking of other people. And so the, the point being is that we all have multiple influences and have multiple voices within us. And we didn't want it to be like, okay, this dancer is this person, that dancer is that person. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to kind of reiterate that too. And so also, much. so for <laughs> people who have not seen the debate 2.0 when it was streamed live, one, I'm so sorry you missed that opportunity because it was bomb. There was a talk back afterwards. Someone was moderating it. She was kind of cute. I don't know. It was me. It's a self plug. Um, but I do encourage people to see the debate because what we're talking about makes me love the piece even more now. Like, I already liked it. I already thought it was brilliant in the incorporation of past political propaganda to present day propaganda and now that love has been amplified by so much just by this conversation alone and acknowledging the black narrative in politics and acknowledging the female narrative in politics yes to all of that um which brings me to our next question the piece itself, the debate 2.0, talks about, or I, I guess we can still say talks about. I've struggled with that because I'm like, technically we're not speaking. <laughs> Anyways, this dichotomy of women being feminine in the roles they play in this world, mm -hmm. but having to pretend or having to put on 
masculine traits in order to be successful. Like that's what I pulled out of it when I watched the debate. And I just was curious of how you wanted the debate to speak to that theme. Was that an intentional theme or did it just kind of evolve out of the piece? Um, how intentional, so one, how intentional was it? And two, uh, how do you how do you feel about that concept of women having to be more masculine to get along in this world? Um, if we go back to sort of the origin story of the piece, um, originally, way back when we started thinking about the live version, we were going to cast um, a man in, in the duet. Um, and honestly, no one wanted that role because we, we were saying some things, we were exposing some truths, I think, about this sort of male, often male way of being in politics that, that can be, um, that a lot of us have had very negative experiences with, right? And so um, we reached out to some really lovely men and they didn't want it. <laughs> um, so understandable. So they didn't want to be vilified, right? And so by default, we were like, okay, well then what does it mean if we cast a woman in that role? And how can we still speak to this gender divide in politics? Um, so one thing we did, and so we just kind of ran with that. Um, we kind of abandoned that idea early on then and just kind of ran with that. And I'm so glad we did because I feel like, you know, so many women in, in politics and, and I'm going to say mostly white women in politics, you know, are, I think more egregious at this is that um, they take on those male, male roles to blend in and to fit in. And so that's something we wanted to talk about. Um, so at one point in, in the debate, we have a costume change and that's the way we handled that in that sort of all three women are wearing the same neutral costume in the beginning. And I described it to them when we were talking about it, sort of like these lumps of clay, like molding themselves into what they want to be. And then they have this costume change where they all put on dresses, um, you know, to kind of emphasize that stereotypical female role. But one of them also puts on a bright red tie. Um, and she is the one that sort of is taking on that role of taking up space. She has more physical space um, in her room that she gets to take up. Whereas the other two women are really confined literally to boxes in a corner, um, a lot of the time. And so what we were saying with that, I feel like is that with that character, like this, you know, putting on this mask, um, of these, you know, aligning with these men in politics to get somewhere. And we see that a lot with the current administration. Um, it's, it's, it's almost more heartbreaking when you see a woman doing that than when you see a man doing that, I think. Um, because it's like you feel abandoned, right? Um, so, yeah, and I'm, I'm interested to hear what a dream thinks of that. So we're talking about Sarah's role. Um, I guess it, she's the dancer that was playing that. And, and she has, she had mixed feelings about playing that as well, but um, it was a really interesting discussion for all of us to have, I think. So yeah, I'll turn it over to Adrienne. Yeah. Um, so a lot of images were just flashing through my head as, as y'all were talking, but I, I think the first thing that came to my mind is this picture of um, Kamala that's been going around of like uh, a silhouette, I think of Ruby Bridges and then her in this pantsuit. And, um, and then I saw Hillary in a pantsuit and then I saw ALC in a pantsuit and I saw my friend London in a pantsuit. And, and this notion that like, I feel like, um, you know, Senator Maxine, like she would have on a skirt. And then I'm just like, well, is it a generational thing? And 
well, then why do pants have to be synonymous with men? And and so like all of this is like going through my head. And, and is that like a way of putting on more, a more masculine, like how you dress, you know, but, you know, people still wear heels or like, you know, just a little bit of makeup. But is that a way of like toning down your femininity? And um yeah, I think I think to Heather's point, it is it is more disheartening um, when you when you experience that type of behavior from uh, a woman. But I think it's so interesting that the men who were asked to do it automatically saw those qualities as villainous. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just like so. It's not that men aren't aware of how that behavior is trash. It's just, they just choose not to speak up or they choose not to condemn it. They just, we just all, everybody's aware of the game and everybody just allows it to keep keep going. Um, And then the note about the boxes, um, what came up for me was like, even this, this conversation about theater not being dead and shifting to a virtual platform. And now we are literally confined to these Zoom boxes. And so like, what does that mean? And uh, with a piece that I recently directed and with this piece that I'm in production for, there's been a really big emphasis on being aware of the space outside of the Zoom box. And how do you invite the audience into the greater space so that they don't feel confined to just this five by seven or, you know, this, 10 by 14, or even just like the laptop computer screen. Um, yeah, so th- those are just some some off the cuff, freestyle <laughs> thoughts. But I think, I think the future of theater, particularly on this platform relies on how do we literally keep thinking outside of the box? because that's really going to be the only way to keep people's attention and keep people engaged, you know, especially when there's so much content now available. I mean, there was already social media content and news content, but now, I mean, you can watch some of your favorite artists do a reading of a show in New York that you wouldn't have, you know, if you were in the middle of Memphis or Nebraska, you wouldn't have been able, if you, Maybe not, you wouldn't have been. If you didn't have the financial means to get to New York to see the show, or you had a schedule conflict while the show was running and you weren't able to make it, that that so many more doors are now open. But then like, now you have that and 15 other shows that you want to watch, you know? Um, yes. <laughs> Last week, oh, no. Um, a dream, you're so brilliant and that's all. Okay. One of the conversations we had last week was about how virtual theater has made performing art more accessible to people. Because, mm-hmm. um, like, you mentioned people with financial or, like, time accessibility needs. There are people who, like, sitting in a dark theater for two hours is just not possible for them, given right. whatever circumstances they may have in their life. Like, virtual theaters merit is its accessibility to people. And you are also right in that that more accessibility leads to so much more content for the consumer because mm-hmm. everything is now accessible. So right. um, an interesting challenge to all of the creatives out there on how do you stand out among your colleagues? How do you keep your viewers interested and engaged after they just stared at a computer for seven hours for work and now you're asking them to stare at a computer for two more hours after work like how do you balance those things yeah another but before we get into more future talk because oh it's coming uh this idea of us not wanting to play the villain us not wanting to embody these traits and these behaviors we view as negative. Mm. Um, I do not remember who I said this to. So apologies to whoever that person was if you were watching this episode. Hey, friend! Um, How sometimes 
you cannot be the focus. And if that means that to tell someone's story, you now have to play a role you may not identify with, you may not share the same mentality with. Mm-hmm. But, and, and this was specifically in the talks of works done by black playwrights. And the role in question was a bigoted role, um, a racist role. And this white man did not want to play this racist role. And we said, well, is this black narrative supposed to be about you and how you feel about it? Well. (laughs) And he didn't really have a response other than, well, the role makes me uncomfortable. The role Uh makes everyone uncomfortable. Uh Like people like that role do every single day so again i ask you is it your place to now invalidate the experience of the people that have been victimized by this character at the end of the day he didn't take the role but like it was a conversation that needed to be had so the fact that it's happening in this piece as well for the debate that you couldn't find someone to play a role that had Trumpisms in it. Um, And I'll I'll say it, Trumpisms, but that's so fascinating to me because again, I would ask those same male dancers, well, is it your story to say no to a man playing that part? I think it's an excellent point. Yeah. Um, And I think Sarah, I'm, I'm so happy that it worked out the way it did. mm -hmm. She nailed it. Really took on that role so nicely. And we had some great discussions about it as well because it was, I mean, I think it was part of, you know, anytime you play a role, it's a part of your own growth process too. And she was so open to do that and, and to experience and embrace that uncomfortableness of it. But, you know, she was also able to say, you know what, I felt like I had all this freedom. It was amazing. And for her also, I mean, she's, she has experienced not having, you know, um, not being able to take up space because she's a woman. Um, so she could understand it in that respect. Um, that she's like, yeah, it must be nice to have that much space to take up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but she's like, at the same time, I felt so guilty because me taking up space meant it was allowing less space for others. And that was not something, you know, that was the uncomfortable part of it. But that's the key right there. I just want to say like, mm-hmm. That's, that's the, that's the real root of empathy, you know, like the ability to be like, hold up, time out. Let me put myself in the other person's shoes, Mm -hmm. you know, because I mean, sympathy is nice. Like, oh, I feel bad, but like, I don't need you to feel bad. I need you to like, not invalidate my experience and, and, and really consider what it could be like, you know, if this was your day-to-day life. Um, because I think that's really what has people transform and change, not just like, oh man, that's unfortunate, <laughs> you know? And I think that's what art does for us too, especially like performance. Performance allows the audience to be able to sit with, you know, what it, it must be be like to be that character, that character, like, you know, a good actor or dancer is going to draw you into that and be able for you to have, I feel like with this piece, um, there's like this, there's often this visceral response to it. Like, you know, some of the stuff that the dancers are just their uncomfortableness or their um, struggles become palpable like it's you can feel it and and I think that's how art helps us to understand and to to have that empathy right rather than sympathy (laughs) yes um so there's this speaking of visuals no I don't like that transition at all anyways next question there are these red boxes 
we see in the performers' visual physical space um, during the debate. And some performers do different things with their boxes depending on which character they are playing. I'm trying to, like, not give spoilers, but at this point, I, I don't know how well of a job I'm doing. But yeah, so you have these huge red boxes um, that are in each performer's space that they may or may not be confined in. Um, one, what was the thought behind the boxes? And two, um, specifically for a dream, how did the box play contribute to your character arc and to the mentality you had approaching the role? Yeah, um, I think, so, from my understanding, like, the the boxes came, were a part of the original iteration of the debate, and initially, instead of being on the wall, were on the floor, um, and so you had this visual of these two women kind of meticulously laying down this tape to create a box, uh, and, and boxes within boxes, actually, and um, I think Heather did a great job of translating that same sentiment um, in a COVID, you know, world where you could still, the dancers could still have their boxes and be in separate rooms-esque um, and, and still be safe. And so I think for me, um, a dream, I hate being put in boxes. I'm just like, you don't know me well enough to put me in a box. <laughs> and I love keeping people on their toes. So, okay, go ahead, put me in a box. Watch me pivot. Um, so to, to have that to play with, I was really excited about. And as far as it influencing um, my character's arc, um, I think that was actually something that was developed in the conversation because it didn't exist before. It didn't exist in the live version. And um, with when talking with Heather and Tracy, what really started coming up for me is what I was saying earlier. It's like, I don't think who my character represents, she, she, she does not exist. You know, she is really standing in what could be, but it's gonna take something. Like it's not, it's not enough for her to just want it. Like we all have to kind of get on the page of like, okay, the system that we have isn't working. And even if we were to rebuild it, it's not, it's not functional. You know, we've tried different leaders, different political parties in the same role. And, you know, if you look at the data, the data, you know, the, the results aren't too much different. If you really look at people's political platforms and what they stand for, I mean, case in point, Say what you will, but um, Mr. Trump on paper was a Democrat before he ran as a, a Republican. You know what I'm saying? So, <sighs> um, but yeah, and then I think for the third, the third iteration of it, um, it just we just got to like take it to a higher level of like, oh, oh, okay. We got a little momentum. We got a little momentum. And like this, this doesn't even have to be like a United States conversation. This could be a global conversation. And I think that's the energy that the, the debate 2.0 really reckoned for me or brought up for me. And I think even in, you know, watching the world response to uh, our delayed presidential election results, you really get the sense of like that this decision isn't just affecting the, the citizens of this country, but it's about to, it's gonna have a global impact. Yes, because I think um, kind of what you're speaking to, no matter what organization, what industry, what country you're talking about, women more times than not are underestimated, are put in boxes, are viewed less than and having representation and having pieces like the debate kind of break that narrative of us not out here 
creating and running and leading and dismantling uh, yes to all of that all the time every day all day um, we've we've been talking about this but I want to just make it an official question um, how do we feel about the female representation nowadays like the current state of female representation I wanted to say one more thing about the boxes. Box, box away, box, box away. Yeah. Um, I think it became really important for us to think about how we dismantle those boxes. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the piece, like how do, and, and that changed over time too. And with this last iteration, it really became, it, it developed into this, you know, um, we introduced AOC's speech on the floor where she is calling out this disrespectful language from a fellow politician. Um, and we played that and that is what was sort of the impetus for a dreams character to literally pull down and dismantle her box and ball it up and offer it up to say, we need something new. Um, so we, we use that and we kind of pushed that. Um, and we also, um, I feel like with that, I've, I don't know as we've really talked about this, a dream, but like she's, she, I felt like in that last like performance of it, you really allowed those words to inform your movement and just went with it. And we're like, I am so done. I am taking it down. Um, and I feel like we were sort of at that critical point in our country where everything is coming to a head, right? And and so much, so many of us are just done. We're done with it. We're done with the box, right? So anyway, I just want to put that out there because I think that was important. Oh, oh, it is. <laughs> it's so important, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Um, but we Sorry, have, back to your question. <laughs> yeah, and it feels like, I don't know if anyone else is keeping up with the current political state of things, but it feels like there is a woman out here breaking some boxes. Hmm? Hmm? Um, so yeah, so when we originally, even like last week, when we made these interview questions for you all, and one of the questions was, what is the current state of female representation? Um we did not have a VP elect that looks a little different than what they usually do. Um, <clears throat> it's Kamala Harris. Um, <laughs> so the, the, so the question is the same, but I think the conversation is going to be drastically different than what it would have been last week of what representation for women and specifically black women, what, what is that like now? I think, I think with our VP elect, especially what I love is that, yes, it's like a win for black women, but I think, you know, to the conversation point that we were having earlier about like there are women who embody multiple identities, you know, like, you know, Asian American women and Indian women and like just women, period, you know, like that she, she represents so many firsts um, that like all those people who may have had ambition and drive and dreams, it's like, oh wait, now we have like somebody tangible. It is real now. And I, on the one hand, I'm very hopeful about what's possible, what's to come. Um, and on the other hand, I, you know, maybe 1% skepticism of, you know, people are, are complacent. Like, okay, we got one. Our work is done. Everybody go home, kick your feet up. And, yay, and we did like, it. Yeah, yay, we did it. And the reality is like women are, I think, Correct me if I'm wrong, like 51% of the population. Um, and that is not reflected in the Senate or the House. 
the, the judicial branch, you know what I'm saying? And so, or, you know, if we're gonna bring it back to the performing arts, like, yes, there are female dancers. Yes, there are some female uh, professors. And I think from a teaching standpoint, there might be more women than men. Um, but when you get to people who are making executive decision, artistic directors, um, executive directors, producers, where are the women? Let alone women of color, let alone black women. And that's, that's the, the system I'm trying to bust up. You know, that's where I'm really looking, engaging as a measure of success, because until there's representation at that level, I mean, we over here talking sweet nothings. That's really what we doing. It's like, oh, what's up, pretty mama? It's like, no, no, I want to hear that. And because I hate, I hate quoting or referencing pop culture stuff, but I do believe one of the things that made Hamilton so successful was how inclusive it was and how deliberately they were in casting people of all denominations, of all, of a whole slew of different backgrounds to play roles that were traditionally very, like, white. Um, and I say roles because they are based off of real people who were white. Um, so people recognize that they like folks of color on stage, right? Oh, look how cool Hamilton is. We have immigrants playing guess what immigrants um so going back to that idea of we recognize these things mm -hmm. and we know them in our the back of our minds to be true but we don't speak up we don't put in the effort to continue that work mm -hmm. right um the thought is slowly disintegrating in my mind okay. as i say it aloud yeah me. i'm ready i, I got a thought uh. thanks you know, I was in New York when Hamilton dropped and I was taking dance classes at the time. And I specifically remember a young woman in my class being upset that the casting breakdown was just like non-white people. And she was just like, I mean, that's not fair. And, you know, A, B, C, and D. And I was just like, thinking to myself, Every other Broadway show though, white, Caucasian woman. Um, uh, what is it, what's it, what's the word they like to use? Um, ethnically ambiguous. Like, I'm just like, the one show, the one. You upset? And, and even, 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 you know, if we look at the Broadway shows, I mean, okay, Hamilton, Color Purple, Eclipse, Lion King, of course, Lion King, you know. Um, Chicago, depends, they, you know. I, I've seen Chicago with a black Roxy, a black um, Mama Morton, and, um, ooh, Vel Velma, Velma. So, I mean, you know, but dep depends on who's, who's in that night, you know. But I mean, I can count on maybe two hands. I mean, Motown, you know, I can count on two hands, the Broadway shows, but people like <laughs> for Hamilton were really upset. And I was just like, wow. Imagine, but imagine what that's like for every other show, like wanting to be the star in, I don't know, the Harry Potter movie, the Harry Potter show or you know, all these television shows that come out. You know, like the romantic rom-com. It's just like, I'm a real hopeless romantic. And sometimes I do, I mean, I've done a, I've done a many of things that are quite hilarious, quite hilarious. But it's just like, you don't get to see people of color just being, you don't get to see them as the lead. You don't get to see them as a love interest. Like I want to see like a full size figure man and woman fall in love. That's not, you know, like, we don't even get to see that if we're going to just talk about, you know, like. And we could, we could talk about shape bias, like body shape biased all day because it's across that's a whole, the board. That's a whole episode. It's yeah, everywhere. Right. Oh, we'll just, we'll have you back. It'll be fine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, because uh, I know we're winding down on the episode. So I also, 
hello background. Um, so I also want to kind of, particularly for Heather, because she had kind of talked about this earlier, um, as a theater artist, how has the switch to virtual uprooted uh, your career or changed it or transformed it? Like, because theater people still have to make money. Fun fact, uh, we did not get free food when all of our tours and shows and productions got shut down. So how how you managing? Well, I mean, the big the big buzzword of the year is pivot, right? We all have to pivot and we have to figure out new ways. And, you know, what I've always embraced about my art form is that I like obstacles. Like that's the good stuff. That's what gives me something to work with, right? Um, so this, I feel like this, this what could be seen as an obstacle. It's creating a whole new genre, really. Um, and we've had this, you know, we had this discussion when we were live streaming this show, and then we captured it, and then just. Um, it's on video on demand now. And so we're like, well, where is that in terms of like what it is? What is it? I mean, I want to be really clear that also that it's not a dance film because that's another genre. Like dance film is a whole genre in and of itself. And I have lots of colleagues that make amazing dance films. I don't make dance films. Like that's not, <laughs> that's not what I do. I love watching them. I love teaching about them, but I don't make dance films. Um, that's not my skill set. But live streaming performance is yet another beast. And we're, st I think we're starting to like through women's theater festival and like organizations like this, we're starting to figure out what that means and starting to define it and um, let it evolve though and see what it means and see how we can, you know, there are some things that even when we do, we will someday go back to live theater when we do I think this still has a place, you know, and, and if for nothing else than equity, like people get to see it. Right. And you can make it very reasonable, um, reasonably priced as well so that people can see it and it's access. Um, you know, before all this, like one of the genres I work in also is site specific performance. And so, um, and one of the reasons for that is equitability. Like, you know, anyone can come to the performance. Anyone walking by can be an audience member. And so there's a beauty in that. And there's a democracy in that, that like at the true sense of democracy, not what we have evolved to think of as democracy at this point. But um, so that's what I'm hopeful about. And that's what I'm excited about. Um, and technology is at a place where we can we can keep up with that. We can start to figure out, okay, how do all of these new things, how are they going to develop and how are tech folks going to, you know, be there to support us and um, come up with ideas and we'll create it together. I, I always say the new zoom update was made with like people who are using that technology, that software outside of what it was originally made for. Like mm -hmm. that new update where we can change the boxes around, where we can play uh, with more of what the audience sees through the Zoom call. All of that I vote is for all these beautiful adaptive creators who said we're going to use this Zoomware to make art. And uh, that's what I'm going to think it is. So thank you, Zoom. Um, a dream. How has your career and student life been affected as you know the whole world shut down yes you know honestly um zoom and and technology has provided a level of opportunities for me for myself that um i don't think would have been possible otherwise and it's like this bittersweet you know um space to be in because uh my program is connected to a, a repertory theater and the theater's closed and so 
at a program where 75% of my program is performance-based and the source of performance is closed, it's like, okay, what does that mean for my education? And fortunately, since July, June, I've, I've had the opportunity and the privilege and the blessing to continue to work with artists uh, in the triangle and outside, you know, um, from dance theater with Heather to acting and doing Shakespeare. And fortunately, Key, I, I, I would say about 75% of those projects I've worked on with you. Um, so it, it's just been, it's been an awesome, it's been an awesome opportunity to still be able to, you know, connect with other artists and, you know, figure out how to navigate different personalities and different work styles and learn from different people about how to approach the work um, and put on these different hats of actor, dancer, director, um, and, and really just be stretching myself as an artist in the midst of stretching myself as a human being um, in this current world and climate that we live in. And so for me, it has been a blessing and um, I'm excited. I'm excited to see, you know, what continues to come from it. And I'm just also very aware that like, there's so many opportunities that if we were, if we were not in a COVID world, I would, I just wouldn't have been able to do because of the rigor of my program or because of where I'm physically located. Um, and so it's been a game changer. Yes. Um, I, cause like right now we are not in the same room and none of us had to get into a car to drive to have this meeting. No one like, there's just so many things that have changed how we connect to people, how we talk to people, how we make things with people um i i vote we keep doing stuff like this even after the theaters open back up because there's there's the pros outweigh the cons yeah. at least for me in my experience so i vote we keep on trucking with this whole virtual nonsense we are now at the time where i ask the two of you Hey, got any, got any, uh, any stuff, any projects, anything you want to shout out? I see a hand. I have something. Um, so I am currently in production for, um, it in, in, in pre pre COVID world, it'd be called the playmakers ground floor. And it's basically like, a black box theater, more intimate uh, type show. And uh, this one that we're doing was actually written for my cohort, my classmates and I by uh, Kevin Vasseur. And it's called Space Plus Time. It was written specifically for Zoom, which I think is a is a important distinction with, you know, all the different types of work that's been being put on the platform. Um, trying to convert a piece that was written for stage on Zoom versus um, watching a piece that was written for the platform. Um, so this one was written for the platform. It will be live streamed. So if somebody passes out or trips on something, y'all gonna see it in the moment. Uh, in the show, there'll be three shows, Friday, November 20th at 7.30 Eastern Standard, Saturday, November 21st at two o'clock, Saturday, November 21st at 7.30. And um, I will share the Zoom link with you, Key, and feel free to drop it in the description. And it is free 99, so just come get yourself a good laugh um, and hang out with us. And Heather, do you have anything that you want the world to know about? Yeah, so um, the Debate 2.0 is on video on demand, Vimeo on demand. Um, and he's gonna provide that information, I guess. Right there, all right. Um, yeah, so you can rent it anytime. Um, I'm also starting to really think about how to use this as an educational tool. So um, like as a dance educator and then 
also just in the theater world. Um, so I'm going to be holding some workshops through Women's Theater Festival on the very next day after a dreams piece. So Sunday, November 22nd, um, there are going to be two workshops uh, from 11 to 1. I'm going to talk about adapting live theater to a virtual platform and using the debate 2.0 as sort of a um, starting point of like how we did that and what's possible. Um, and then from two to four on the same day, um, I'm going to talk about virtual performance as uh, social activism. And again, using the debate 2.0 as an example, and um, also kind of gearing some of it towards educators as well. So talking about like how we can use this piece or how we can use these concepts um, in lesson planning for the spring, because a lot of us are wrapping up our fall semesters and getting ready for the spring already. So. All right. Well, if no one knew what they were doing for the last weekend in November, you're welcome. You get a laugh, you know, get in the right mood to learn about some activism the very next day. Bam. Figured it out. Um, so check out all those links. They will be down below. Um, I... I'm kind of sad that this conversation is ending. I'm a wee bit sad, but we also can't make this episode five hours long. So we're going to wrap it up here. Thank you both A Dream and Heather for your words and your insight and your artistry and your time and your talents. Um, the list could keep going on, but I'm going to stop myself here. Um, wow. So Anyways. Yeah. Thank you guys okay Whew. so this has been theater's not dead again all november we're going to continue talking to women doing the damn thing what's the thing dismantling the patriarchy i said it aloud you're welcome um be sure to follow tnd and all the things we have a twitter we have a instagram uh, make sure you are liking, subscribing, and clicking the cute little bell so that you can get notifications when we go live and when we have other fun content for you to view. I think that covers everything. Um, I'm going to assume my hand, my producer is giving me the go-ahead. Hey, everybody. This is Theater Not Dead with Kiana Alexander. I'm Kiana Alexander saying, psst, theater's not dead. Bye, everybody. <laughs>